this up, by the way. So, uh, yeah, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago we had uh, Pete Visconti on the podcast, on the football podcast. Legend! Legend! And so he, we were talking about, uh, of course, the, the story of Gino meeting his ex at the airport with flowers over in, what, Spain, <laughs> right? Came up? Yes, yes. Tell, tell that r- briefly uh, for folks who haven't heard that. Long story short, like when my parents were actually sick, a lot of people don't know they died within 18 months of each other. And I was dating this girl, Rita, great girl, great girl, who, by the way, as an aside, she's the one that has lupus. She's the one that 20 years later, we're still friends. And she was taking hydroxychloroquine every single day for the past 20 years uh, for the rest of her life. And she's fine. Yet if we take it healthy, it'll kill us. That's when I knew the government was lying. But Go back. So we split up because I lost my mind when my parents died. But don't get me wrong, because it wasn't a good relationship anyway. But that was the, the, the final nail in the coffin. So she is like, fuck. And then I'm like, I want to get back together because I'm a little fucking cunt. And I'm like, we got to get back. And she's like, no, I'm done. So she's like, in fact, I'm going to Spain. This was the beginning of the summer we broke up. She's like, I'm going to Spain in September. And uh, I'm going to live with my family for a year in Galicia, in Portugal. And I said, oh, OK. And and another part of the story people don't know is like a year before when my parents were sick, she went to, to France to hang out with some friends. And I didn't even go get her at the airport from France up here in New York where we lived in Delaware. So I'm like, you know what I'll do to make it up to her? I'll surprise her. And she's flying out to uh, Spain, Madrid. I'm like, I'll fly out a day before her and I'll surprise her with flowers. Uh, and when I did that, she landed, she looked at me and said, what are you doing here? You have problems. <laughs> so we, everyone thinks that was funny, but the story gets twisted a lot by Florentine. But the thing is, and a lot of people, cause, cause uh, the first gig I had when I got back a month later was with Florentine and uh, please, that's a whole nother story. Well, but, didn't you go on a spiritual journey after that? Right. And that was all point. Everyone's like, oh, he was, he proposed. I'm like, I didn't propose to her there. I just said, good luck. And I'm sorry, but I was backpacking through Europe because I wanted to be in Venice, Italy. Did you get laid there? That's exactly the first thing he said. Did you get laid? And I said to him, it wasn't about that. You're gay. You should have at least, you should have at least jerked off once in every country. That's a backpack. See, I've done Uh, that, but that's at Epcot. Yeah, but I ended up backpacking through Europe for a, a year. Excuse me, for God forgive me, for a month. And that was, you know, and that was when I like became, I, I, I changed a lot because it was like I was 27 and I came back. I'm like, I'm going to do what I want to do from now on and see what happens, you know? So I took a leave of absence from this shitty bank job and all that stuff. But the story, every time Flor- ask Florentine to tell it three different times over the course of three months, it's he went to Mexico City. Uh, he showed up in a van. He just changes everything. It's the best. It's the best when Florentine tells it. So uh, so Pete tells a story about, now, did you end up proposing to Rita? I didn't really propose. I, I've said this on this show. I've, I've been engaged twice, and neither one was a real proposal. It was just me dating a girl so long. They're like, you better give me a ring, and I did. You know, it was one of those. I'm a fucking weasel. So there was, he was telling a story, something about you had a nervous breakdown. Oh, no. Oh, not a nervous breakdown. He almost <laughs> had a nervous breakdown because he's a good person. I'm a piece of shit. So... So I uh, get engaged, and then I start having panic attacks. So is this wait, is this, this is to Rita, not, not Tara, right? Oh, no. Tara would never have a panic attack. I just left. Uh, <laughs> I had a panic attack because here's the thing. This is 1997. In hindsight, it's so obvious. 1997, I'm just starting to do comedy. I'm getting married because I'm like, I got to get married. She's hot, and I'm young. And I, 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 get, I give her the ring, and... And Palm Sunday dinner, I'm like, I got to go to the emergency room. I'm having a heart attack. I can't breathe. And that happened. It happened one time before that. But Palm Sunday dinner was with the family. And Pete's like, it's like he's good because Peter gets a little nervous because he's a, a good person. And I went in to there. I'm like, I'm having a heart attack, doc. And the doctor gave the, the doctor cured me. He was one of those doctors like we have very sick people in here stop wasting my fucking time he didn't say he's like it's like you're having a panic attack he's like he's like go to a different doctor get your stuff together but stop doing this he yelled at me so why were you panicking was it just that like you didn't like in your mind you didn't want to be married 
because I was doing what I thought I should do and not what I wanted to do. I mean, I realized this now. Then I didn't know because if I knew I was panicking then, I would have known I was having a panic attack. I'm like, everything's great. I'm having a heart attack. So you're you know? about 28, 29 years old, and you felt that this this is the time where, like, you see your friends getting married. Yeah. You see your friends getting married. Your brother's married. Everybody's married, and you're like, oh, shit, I don't want to be the last guy. Was that one of those cases? No, in hindsight, what I honestly think it was is I was too lazy to break up because, you know, I get comfortable and I'm like, uh, or maybe too much of a pussy to break up because I'm like, I'm with a hot chick. Can I get another hot chick? And I was like, so I never broke up. And then she's like, we got to get married. I'm like, okay. You know, who knows? Like, that was so, I always say this on the show. That was so many lifetimes ago. You know what I mean? Like I was 27. I was working at a bank. I like, I just started doing stand up. I didn't, you know, I, I, I would have never moved up here. And same thing, even with the last chick, uh, sorry, I got a little verklempt. Even with the last chick, Tara, it's like, it's like, she wanted to get married. I didn't, we ended up splitting up. She's married now doing all the stuff she's supposed to be doing. And, and I always say this, it's like, oh, I used to get so much shit from, uh, from, from Alex with this. It's like, you still love her. I'm like, of, of course I still love her because when I chose comedy, like when we split up, I realized I was choosing comedy over her. Yeah. So I better get my ass fucking moving because this is what I chose. And I did, you know, I've never been, I've never been, I, I would say successful. Well, more successful. Cause to me, success is just enjoying what you do. And you know me, I fucking, I love what I do. I yeah. love it. Well, that's the, that's the thing is that you're, you clearly have a type right now. Some, somebody, I think it was Tommy, I think it was Tommy Karate posted or somebody who's on, on uh, Twitter said, uh, did a side by side of Alex and your, your new girl. And they're like, well, clearly yeah. Gino likes the blondes. That has <laughs> <laughs> got a type. That has got a type. Was, I do. Was, was Rita and Tara both like that too? Tara was a uh, blonde hair, green eyes, but Rita was not Spanish, gorgeous. She was like a girl from Ipanema type. Uh, she okay. had uh, black hair, brown eyes. Well, she had black eyes every now and then because the bitch didn't listen. Da 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 da. Dinner was late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so mean. Why does she have two black eyes? Well, you know, I'm, I'm sick of telling her twice. <laughs> well, that's so funny. My, see, my it's type so has always funny. been is always been Italian women from broken homes with daddy issues, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of kept that one going. Fucking, uh, and and I say, game respects game, Tony Mazer. Oh yeah. Well, that's it was one of those cases of just how many damaged Italian women, but but that's what it comes down to with dating, and that. Um, you know, I hated being on the date. I hated being single. I hated being on dating apps. And I would, so every girl that I would date in my 20s and into my, well, not my 30s, I've been with Leah since, since I've been in my 30s, but all the way out through my teens and my 20s, everyone was an upgrade in one area and a downgrade in others. And that's what it is, is it's sure. just, dating is just trading in used cars. So, okay, the seats yeah. aren't as comfortable, so you got a better car, or you got a car with better seats, but the stereo doesn't work as much. So then you got to get a new stereo, but then the seats aren't going to be as comfortable. So, you know, a girl will let you put it in her ass and come in her face and everything, but then she's insane and you go, ah, oh, God, I, you know, you're belching in front of my family and saying fuck and shit in front of my grandmother. May she rest in peace. Not my ex, but maybe. Uh, so I'm like, she, okay, I need someone who's- She belched up your cum and said, fucking shit, that tastes like semen. I wish she did. She's like, no, that's one thing I will not do. So I'm like, all right. Uh, it, it was, she didn't keep the change. No, it was. So I went from a girl who let me put it anywhere I wanted, uh, but she was disrespectful. So I found a woman with respect, but she wouldn't let me put it where I wanted. So it's like, you have to, these are all trade-offs in life. Yeah. Yeah, that's what life is. It's 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 a giant barter system. I understand. I agree. I mean, look at Alex. I, I'm sure Alex let you put it anywhere. I mean, we, uh, in fact, on the uh, the podcast with Chad, we actually happened to see where you probably put it <laughs> at the hotel. <laughs> we were. Oh, that was great. We were. Uh, who was I hanging out with? Who was I hanging out with the other day? I can't even remember. And I'm sitting there like talking about how great it's going with a. Uh, with my girl now because she's great she's like me she just she's laid back she she fucking doesn't give a fuck she's got a great sense of humor but and i'm telling i'm talking about and then they go so they go so you'd never fuck alex again i go of course of course <laughs> no yeah how's that having a, a long and, and when i say long distance it's not like you're in manhattan and she's in yonkers i'm talking about you're in manhattan or well you're in you know by the what was it hunter first and uh in harlem 
Uh, 104th and first, come by sometime when you want sliced mangoes. Yeah. Next, I'll come by next time I want a Nike swoosh cut in my head. <laughs> I want to get a couple of sliders. I, I, I want to get a Crave case at White Castle. <laughs> and then, you, and then you're, yeah. da- you're dating a woman literally on the other side of the country. But it's like, dude, relationships really are. It's, so much of it is timing. You know what I mean? It's timing. You have to be like who you are and like what you're doing for shit to work. And this girl... it's almost like you planned it. She lives in LA and she's a huge Bills fan. So I go out there like three times, four times a year during football season, went to the Chargers games with her, watched the Bills uh, game at a Bills Mafia bar. But she loves her job and she's able to come out here when she wants. And and I like to compartmentalize shit. Like, Like, it's what I've said. It's like, as I get older, my mother used to always say, Gino, not everyone's your friend. Everyone likes me. You think everyone likes you. You're going to find out. Not everyone's your friend. And like, I, as I get older, I have less time for people and more time for, I have more time for a handful of people and my cat. You know what I mean? That's it. Like, I want to do my show four days a week. I want to hang out with people that fucking make my life easy and fun. And that's it. Like, when they're like, I was, we were supposed to do a show last Thursday night, me, Bartnick and uh, Dombrowski. Because Bartnick was in town and the guys at Stand Up New York are like, yeah, throw together a show last minute and have everyone from New York come out. And, I, and it dawned on me they had to cancel it because, you know, it was like thrown together within a week. I said, 10 years ago, I could have done that. 10 years ago, I was hanging out in the city every night. I had friends everywhere. We partied. You know what I mean? And it'd be like, hey, let's all meet at Stand Up New York at 1130. Me and my buddies are doing a show. But now I don't have that life. Thank God. You know, I have a very simple life. And it's like, I don't know anyone that's hanging out in the city on a Thursday night at 1130, let alone anyone I would ask to do that. You know what I mean? Well, that's I'm sure. How many people have asked you in your life? I mean, you're you're a man in your 50s. You have a cat. You you know, it's a Thursday night. You can get drunk when you want to. How many people like Gina, are you happy? Like, does this make you happy? You're a single guy in your 50s and you're you're banging damaged, you know, 20, 30 year old women and yeah. you're just drinking everything. I'm sure it's so many, especially in the last couple of years. I know Berg's wife was talking about that, like Gino's getting unstable. He's whatever. But I'm sure you've probably had that. And what what's your response to that? I said, because I I always say, of course I'm happy. It's like, if you have to ask me if I'm happy, then there's no point me. You either know that I'm happy or you have to ask me if I'm happy. And if you don't think I'm happy, well then I can't convince you otherwise. All I know is I've never been, I've never been healthier. Well, I actually put on 10 pounds since I got down to 160, but I've never enjoyed my job more. I, I, I literally am. There's an old saying where it's like, you shouldn't say I have to, you should say I get to, you know what I mean? Like I have to work today. Oh, I get to work today. You know? And it's, and I find myself saying that without even trying, I, I refuse to say I have to go to work. I say I go to the studio now because the fact that I get paid to do that. And this is something I say all the time. And I'm sure you've heard me say, it, I'm like, I'm waiting for someone to walk in that door and say, you can't do this anymore. Yeah. You cannot get away. And I'm not rich. I'm not famous, but I pay my bills doing what I love. And I get to, and I, and I get to laugh with my friends and family. I'm like, if that doesn't make me happy, then I deserve to be miserable. So yeah, I'm really fucking happy. It's amazing because when everybody wants to check in on people's, you know, well-being, and they're like, Oh, Gino's starting to lose it. Gino's just getting really erratic. And it's just like, you know what, if it works for him though, I mean, You've you've lived quite a life and you you made it work. What you did is you moved to New York City. Your goal was I want to get out of banking. I want to get out of waiting tables at Bennigan's. I want to get out of Delaware. My goal is to go to New York City and perform stand-up comedy. Like I'm sure you had aspirations that you wanted to be on, you know, like the young comedian special on with Rodney Dangerfield and stuff, but I wanted to take over Letterman. I wanted to be the next Letterman. I did. And I look at late night TV now, that's why I harp on it a lot, you know, and I'm like, thank God I didn't get what I thought I wa- what I thought I wanted, you know, because it's not because what I wanted is not even remotely close to what I wanted anymore. Yeah. It's it's not the same. It's not the same business. It's not the same uh, bit of comedy. And and also, here's the other thing is that there was at one time you were a comedian and your job was to go on stage and tell jokes. Now you can't just be a comedian. You have to do a podcast. You have to do a radio show. You have to do so many other different jobs because the comedy club's not going to be doing as much press for you. You have to be your own sales guy. I mean, for God's sake, look what Aaron Berg is doing. I I, I tell him, I tell everybody around him, I say, he's the hardest working guy. He's 
really saving, I don't want to say saving compound media, but he's the guy who's the really the backbone of it by booking these comedians. He gave the boss shows. his life back. I say that all the time. I couldn't agree more, Tony. Yeah. You're right. Go on, though. Yeah, he uh, did. So, I mean, Aaron Berg, who is not a radio guy, that's the funny thing is that you, like, you've at least done, you did college radio, right? I did a lot of radio when I was in college and when I was in Delaware. And you were I was on, like a regular. And you were on Kid and, and everything. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, like, I just talked with him today, actually. Well, texted with him. Anyway, go on. He's down in Cincinnati now, right? Mm-hmm. He's at EBN, the Frog, down at uh, WEBN, and but I like. Even know you're a radio guy, but I know he's in Cincinnati. Oh yeah, God, God this business. I tell you, um, you know, it's by the way, it's funny. Uh, you know Josh Potter. Of course, Josh Potter is a Bills fan. He's tight with my girl, and he's he apparently he's a he's a he, he's one of Rogan's favorites, even though he doesn't do much about it. Yeah, we uh, I used to work with Josh. We helped launch a radio station in Cleveland, The Fan, uh, back in 2011, and he and I were the first producers that were hired at the place. And he was because uh, I mean he's blind as a bat. Like he he can't see yeah. anything. But uh, yeah, Josh Potter and I, and he worked there for a couple of a couple of weeks. And maybe it was about uh, it was about three months, and he's like, "Fuck this! I'm going back to shredding Reagan in Buffalo." And it wasn't until Tom Segura came to town and said, "Yeah, you want to open for me?" He's like, "Yeah, this kid's pretty good. You want to go on the road?" And he said, "Yeah, fuck radio. I'm going to get into podcasting and do all this." So yeah, Josh is a good dude. It's uh, he's uh, you know he's he's a, he's another guy who's going to be probably single well into his fifties, and he's drinking and smoking yeah. a lot of pot and everything. But he does love his Buffalo Bills. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, God, yeah. how do you not squib? How do you not squib that fucking kick, Tony? How there do were, you not squib that kick? It, it well, there's there's been a lot. By the way, I, I'm gonna say this. So we did our football podcast today with Ken and Chad Zumach today, and there's certain things that we're going to look back on that seemed so minuscule at the time that they're going to be a backbreaker for a franchise. So, for example, you look at what Zach Taylor did over the weekend at the Super Bowl by having. Uh, you know, uh, per, uh, was it Perrine or, or yeah, he's in the game. Yeah, Perrine, uh, not Valerie Perrine, of course, but uh, who was who was in Steam? Wonderful Bell. actress, wonderful actress. Yeah. Naked in every movie she was in, and uh, yeah, P. Ryan's in the game, and Mixon's on the sideline. Yet Mixon's the one who kept the team in the game, and that's going to be one where if Cincinnati never makes it back to the Super Bowl, that they're going to look back and say. Oh my God, that's what killed it. I mean, you think about when, see, when instead of running beast mode on first down at first and one in that Super Bowl against uh, Brady and the Patriots, that he has Russell Wilson throw the ball and gets picked off by Malcolm Butler. That's that's one thing. Like I think a lot of people expected Seattle because you have Sherman and Earl Thomas and the Legion of Boom. You still have beast mode. You still have Russell Wilson. This team's going to be back in the Super Bowl the next year. Well. They haven't been back, and they haven't really even been close to being back. So you can those- ask you can you can ask Peter Bisconti, who uh, and I believe it was second down. I believe Wilson. I believe Beast because uh, what's his name had just made the helmet catch. Javon Curse or the other Curse uh, at like the five, and and Beast Mode ran it down to the half yard line. And on second down, they made that throw. And I looked at my brother after that happened, and I said to him, "Ask him." I said, "You," and I felt so bad for him because he was stunned. I'm like. Hey, you don't come back from this. And my brother even took it as my brother took it even a step further. Actually, I take it back. My brother had said it. No, no. He said it later, but he said it perfectly. They had destroyed the Broncos in Super Bowl 47, as you recall. And they were half a yard away from beating the Patriots. That's how you build a dynasty. In consecutive seasons, you beat the two best quarterbacks of the generation. You know what I mean? You beat mm-hmm. Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. And that, you said it, you don't come back from that. And I know you're going to say Marino, who got there his first year, never saw that field again yep. in fucking January back then, not February. And you're right. I, I, I think there's things you just cannot come back from. I don't know if this P. Ryan move is as big a deal because I am hearing from some people that Mixon was limping around the sideline. But knowing Joe Mixon, and his smash mouth style, and I'm not just talking about him in college bars, his smash mouth style, he wanted to be in that game, you know, and and he's a warrior that's not going to feel his ankle if it's in three different pieces 
you know, at that point. So it's a minute left of the Super Bowl. And, you know, though, though, when you really start to think, I mean, you'll really gouge your eyes out, especially if you have money on these games to think about with those little bits that you could have changed in order for that game to change uh, that, that would have been gone different. And I always look to. So the Browns have never been to the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, uh, but they had a couple of close calls with against Denver back in the late 80s. And you had, uh, of course, the first the one was... drive! Marty Schottenheimer couldn't... I'm sorry. Well, We all have suffered through the late Marty Schottenheimer. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, He's was, with Nana and Mom and Dad now. He so really is. Yeah, and, uh, and, and Olga, too. Yes, and Uncle Frank. <laughs> all four! There's the fucking fearsome four. There's they going to dance in the 50s. I love that picture. So when you think about with Marty Schottenheimer, and you watch the drive, and they show the drive on NFL Network during the offseason all the time, and you could just really watch that game, and you think that, in your mind, Elway takes the ball 98 yards downfield and throws the pass to, was it Mark Davis, I believe, in the back of the end zone. And Sounds right. Yeah, for I, a touchdown. I remember. But understand that the game actually continued and went to overtime, and the Browns won the coin flip. And this is before the 20 years before the overtime rules, or maybe 25 years before. And so you take it downfield, your first score, you win the game. So what does Marty Schottenheimer do? He plays con- he played conservative prevent defense before then, then he played conservative offense. What do they do? You have Ernest Biner and you have Kevin Mack. You have two guys who were multi-purpose backs who had a thousand yards each. Who they have on the field? Herman Fontenot. Now, I like Herman. Herman, personally, I've been drinking with him, especially when I was underage. Herman was a great dude. I'd like to go drinking with, I'd like to go drinking with Herman Fontenot. Yeah, now absolutely. you're just rubbing my nose in. Well, go mainly because mainly he paid. <laughs> <laughs> you get him to the comedians of the compound in a couple of weeks at Cuyahoga Falls, where we'll be drinking with Herman Fontenot. I'm sorry, go on. Yeah, I'm going to bring Herman. Actually, I'll bring, uh, oh, God, there's a couple of uh, former players who, former Browns players. Not Pio Sagapulatelli. He's gone. But, uh, but yeah, Herman Fontenot, who was a, just a mediocre, not even a change of pace back. He was like a third back on the, and they handed off to him. He got like a couple of yards and they had to punt. And, Broncos get in a field position. Rich Carlos with the barefoot field goal may or may not have yeah. gone through the uprights, but the, they counted as a win. Those are those things that those decisions for someone like Marty Schottenheimer probably came back and haunted him in his sleep. So when you go back to that Bills game, that Bills Chiefs game, you have 13 seconds left on the clock. Why are you kicking it all the way into the end zone? You squib the ball. The clock starts as soon as the ball touches the ground. You go to overtime and then you figure it out. But you gave yeah. them an and opportunity to come every back. Possible second. You're giving every possible second to, uh, oh, I can never think of his name, the Mahomes. quarterback for the Chiefs. Oh, is that who it is? Oh, no, it's Elvis Gerbach. Mahomes. Elvis Gerbach. I know. that's exactly. I can see if you, you know what I mean? Patrick Mahomes, he doesn't need your help. He doesn't need your help. Whatever. It's, it, it's, I could not, but I say this, I could not have guide, guided the Bills to an 18-week season through the fucking playoffs to that fucking, you know, to that uh, divisional playoff game. But if you give me the Bills head coaching job with 13 seconds left, I can get you to that next game, I think. Squib it! That's it. That's it. Yeah, that Bill, by the way, it went up to Buffalo uh, back in October. And I think the Browns are playing Buffalo next year, so in Orchard Park. So we went up there, went to Niagara Falls, had a nice weekend, and that was the first game I think they were showing proof of vaccine to go into the stadium. I'm like, yeah, I'll pass. I'm gonna pass. I'll go. To, I'll go to the bars near. I'll go to Tully's that's nearby in Western New York and watch the games. But sure, it was uh, <clears throat> Bills fans, Browns fans, Chiefs fans. There's some great fans, but. Over, you know, just when we're recording this here, uh, the Rams win the Super Bowl. And did you see the Rams parade? It was as pathetic as a WNBA celebration. <laughs> Stop it. There was like six people on the street. I mean, the, the Rams aren't even the top two team football team in town. Your top, top teams are not even here anymore. The Raiders are still the number one team in, in Los Angeles. They've been gone almost 30 years now. Oh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's just it. It's like and and the biggest rivalry will always be UCLA versus USC in L.A. Everyone fucking knows that. Everyone knows that. And that's why it's like when I when I was at the game, uh, you know, I went to three Chargers games and it's always more. But I've said this. There should always be more opposing fans, especially for the Chargers, because it's because not only did they leave San Diego, but it's like think about it. It's like 
you would like there's always a better fan base you would you would leave the cold of the northeast the heat of texas you know the the, the shitty weather of seattle to move to la and still be fans of the patriots or eagles or texans or or cowboys or fucking seahawks you would or and you would still live in la and be fans of them or let's say that you live in fucking chicago and the bears are playing the chargers Let's go to fucking L.A. for a weekend and see the game. But the one thing you would never and should never do is leave the most beautiful city in the world that is San Diego, or at least in the U.S., to drive three hours to watch the team that fucking abandoned you. Yeah. So there's always going to be. So that's why when they're like, you should be embarrassed. There's, I'm like, just shut up. Pretend yeah. you know anything about football, you faggot. I really missed I missed my opportunity to go to Jack Murphy Stadium. Uh, I, I never I never I had a chance once. to go there. It was I've, amazing. I've driven by there, but I, I never had a chance to go. And I've been to San Diego several times, and it's just it, it's a town that you know what's interesting about San Diego is it's such a nice town, but it's a town that was built by boomers, and the problem is that they had kids who were just burnouts who just do nothing but smoke pot and skateboard. So now the town is starting to slowly become taken over by illegal immigrants. It's just all the Mexicans that just hopped over the border, and they're the ones that are just running the town. So San Diego is going to be a really shitty town the next probably 10, 20 years, just because all the millennials yeah. and, and Gen Z are just sitting around smoking pot at the skate park. It actually means whale's vagina. Oh, anyway. Um, <laughs> By the way, did you, uh, yeah, and did you see, this is nothing to do with sports, but it's uh, uh, more of the fucking horseshit that goes on in L.A. Brian Cranston, who I fucking love, you know, in Seinfeld, loved Breaking Bad. I like it more than, um, I like it more than The Sopranos. I do. I'm not, I'm like, it's hard to choose between the two, but he just came out and he, he quit a project. He's like, oh, my white privilege had me. He, he abandoned a project that was about the KKK building a uh building uh, turning a, a georgia fishing lodge into a, a a fucking meeting place and he's like i had to abandon it because it's my white privilege that allows me to fucking talk about this without realizing how triggering and tragic it is for you know people and it's like no you're an idiot no. because this is what we do now we, we we silence these things that would make fun of them like like that's what comedy is you know when when i do jokes about the holocaust i'm mocking how stupid people were i'm mocking how dumb we were with slavery and if you don't address it then you're letting people get away with it in a way you know and it's like do you think about like if i'm a kkk guy and i watch that movie i'm like this motherfucker thinks we sh shouldn't have set up that lodge but you don't address it so he's like hey you know, you ever, remember the time we tried to build a lodge in Georgia? We came so close. You've got to call fucking people out on it. And that's what people don't get. Like, just don't talk about it. Suck a dick. Yeah. Suck a dick. That's what art does. Art fucking moves you in some way or another. And I'm sorry that people don't think comedy is art. That's that's the problem. They're like, nah, art is uh, what's safe. Art is never what's safe. Mm -hmm. Well, K Kumia was talking about this the other day, and I wanted to plan a whole podcast. I'm like, well, God damn it, he took my whole concept for a podcast. And that was talking about the Super Bowl commercials and how really the Super Bowl commercials dictate how commercials will be the rest of the year. So what you saw last year was I never realized that, but go on. Yeah, we're, we're all in this together. Wear your mask and get your vaccine. And everything. There were so many serious commercials about how you know uh, uh, in these unprecedented times and everything. And then all of a sudden, every commercial had to do with COVID. And everyone's wearing masks at AT and T and everything. And this time around. Uh, it's a lot, they've been a little more cheekier, but you notice that a lot of the commercials that everybody liked had to do with nostalgia. And why nostalgia? Is because things were better at one time. That we have yeah. to go back into when, a couple of years ago, when Bill Murray had the Groundhog Day commercial, where he, you know, it's the whole thing and Phil Connors and he sees like a new yeah, I, think, I think it was last year, to be honest, dude. Two years at most. Yeah. It was, it, it was for a, it was a it great was for commercial. A truck or something or no? What yeah, it was, was like it? a Jeep or something. So, yeah, he couldn't wait. It for was the, a Jeep. He couldn't wait for yeah. the next day and him and the groundhog are in the car and they're, he's buckling the seatbelt and everything. And it's, it's silly, but the reason we went for those commercials and we like them is they're proven to be funny, they're proven to be safe, and they're proven to be effective. The problem is nowadays is what was the last great comedy sit or a movie and then what was the last great sitcom of the last tw 10 years since 2012 that has come out in that time i, I if you're going to tell me sitcom like 
maybe Schitt's Creek, which I think is all right. And I, I, I like Eugene Levy. I like Catherine O'Hara and everything from the SCTV days. But uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, maybe? I mean, but there really some good sitcoms. It. So here's what happens right. is because when you have this diversity quota you need to make, and it's like, well, we need to have a black family. We need to have a Hispanic family. We need to have Jews. And we need to have this, this, and this. And when you and then you go well is this going if i make this joke is it going to offend this person and this group and this this and this you're now you're peeling the potential for comedy out to the point where you have nothing so you can't make a funny commercial because you're because humor will offend somebody it's bound to offend somebody so you have to go back to the well and keep going back to and going all right well it looks like we're gonna have to go with groundhog day or we're gonna have to do uh the sopranos because clearly everybody loves the sopranos so we'll have meadows soprano in the car and we'll kind of recreate the opening scene to promote some you know stupid suv that that's the only reason yeah, because there isn't anything it good now electric, it was all electric cars and bitcoin and heavy shit about covid you said it dude it's it's amazing because you know when you and i talk about and you're a lot of your act is you talk about the potential for humor and you use a lot of shocking words in there like faggot and whore and cunt and everything and you say that because you are what you're doing is you're provoking the reaction out of people who haven't heard those words in that type of setting because they haven't been used in that setting in several years maybe even decades yeah well people as long as we're talking about vaccines which is all we've talked about effective vaccines which covid is not unless they're mrna bullshit and that's another fucking conspiracy theory that they are, COVID doesn't exist. They've never been able to isolate the cells because if they could have, they could have made the typical vaccine they make in every other case where they take a little bit. Like when you make a measles vaccine, they give you a little bit of measles. When you make a fucking polio vaccine, they give you a little bit of polio. That's what a vaccine is. And that's what I like to think my act is in a way. It fucking exposes you to this thing. And then you are ready to deal with it. You don't hide people from it. And then when they go out in the world, they're like, oh my God, that word is always bad. You can handle it. You can fucking handle it. Stop it. I've Stop mentioned- believing people that don't think you're strong enough. I've mentioned this before. And I think I actually said it on the last podcast we did on my porch is that you're, you have an interesting act because it's very old school in that, you have your set act, and what you do is you insert the jokes in there. It's almost like I, I kind of look at it as like a plinko board on, uh, <laughs> on Prices Right. Is you drop the plinko key, uh, the the thing, and it starts dropping in, and wherever it lands, it depends on you know the circumstances inside that plinko. Depends board. on who it bumps. It depends on who it bumps into on the way who gets in the way of it. Because, You're exactly right, Tony. Because yeah. some some parts of your act are going to work. Like if you're at a Comedians of the Compound, as Jim Florentine always says, it's like playing at Coors Field with the wind blowing out. You're definitely yeah, going I always, to— I call Yeah, I call them home games, but I like that even better. Yeah, at Coors Field, the wind's blowing out. Yeah, and you're, you're hitting with the golf ball. And so you will be bound to kill in a lot of ways when it's your audience. But if you're either at the tiny cupboard or the slightly smaller cupboard— Slightly larger. Slightly covered. I'm not larger. doing the slightly That's right. small. Yeah. What or, am I? What am I? Some rookie? I got bumped up to the slightly. Anyway, go on. I appreciate what or, you or did. Or your three monkeys. One of those places where you're going to have a different audience, and that those jokes and that setup is not going to be right there. And, and Michael Malice said a very interesting thing because, you know, when when I think with Mike, me doing comedy. So I've been doing it over eight years now. I've been sure. a radio. I've been a radio over fifteen, but I've been doing comedy for eight years, and the. And the reason I've been doing it and I still do it is because who knows how long the radio thing is going to last and that I need to be fresh. And if I need to go on stage and vent, I can find an open mic or I can find a show that I can do a guest spot on and I'm still going to be fresh and it's not going to be as much of a learning curve. So but I've been doing this long enough where you start to pick up the tools of the trade. But I I also don't take it as serious as so say, for, for example, Ray DeVito. You know, our good friend Ray DeVito. I just did our a sh- dear, dear friend. Did a show with him last week. And Ray is one of those guys where I, I did a podcast with him talking about, and he asked me how many times uh, I go up a week. And I'm like, you know, once, you know, really not yeah. that much. And he kind of got offended by it a little bit. 
because he's like, well, then you'll never be a great comic unless you're going up at least five nights a week. And I'm like, then I'm never going to be a great comic because I hate going. I hate. I will start to hate doing stand up the same way as I hated playing golf. I loved playing golf when I was just going on my own. But when I was a part right. of the golf team in high school and I had to go out every day at three o'clock from you know mid August all the way to mid October, I started hating the sport and I started not doing as well. So I've used stand up as kind of like a hobby, but. You know, it's it, so it kind of pisses people off because then I'm getting stage time that people don't think I earn. But that's just how you know that's kind of how it is. And comedy is comedy is a very fluid thing. And that's what's interesting about how your stand up is is just it's going to be something where you're going to step on some toes. But you got to know how you got to know your way out of it if you get into that situation. Oh, without a doubt. And for him to say that, like that's. I hate when people do that and they tell they 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 fucking unload their version of what will make you a great comic based on what they're doing. And and you should have said, let me tell you, for you to be a great comic, you need to get on stage at least 10 times a week. Ray, I've seen your set and you need to listen more to people. But I'm at the point where I used to like I, I say this all the time. You know, how long have I known you, Tony? I, I never tell you how to do your stand up because you have to find your own way. And I always say, let me tell you something like. Berg, Berg's addicted to it. Berg has to keep getting on stage. Otherwise, he won't feel like a comic. And if you don't feel like a comic, you're not a comic. And I always say, look, two years before the, this pandemic, I mean, it's, it's just the past two years I've become a white supremacist, uh, COVID, Holocaust denier, all these terrible things. You know, and I always say, if you talk, like I worked fucking 16 years uh, to get into every club in New York City. And I've seen that all go away in the past two years because of COVID, because I refuse to fucking get vaccinated. Don't get me wrong, I have proof of vaccination, but I won't even send my avails into clubs because I have no problem with the clubs playing by these rules. You could but probably get into Dangerfields or comics, right? <laughs> well, Dangerfields has a rat problem, but I, uh, I, I refuse. I'm not sending them avails, I'm not wasting their time. But if I can get on stage two, three times a week, even, even once or twice, I get the reps. I know... I know what jokes work. I know how to, I know what, and, and the jokes, I don't know how they work. I just need to fucking fashion them out. But I don't need to get on stage fucking 10, 20 times a week to be a great comic. In fact, it would burn me out at this point. That's a young man's game. And I know who I am. And I'm lucky enough that I can get behind a microphone four days a week and say things that lead me to bits that are funny. Like, look, I showed you this. I, I, this, this is my wall of erasable marker. It's all bits I'm working on and bringing back. Well, that's you know what hilarious. I mean? And, Oh, nothing rhymes with Auschwitz. Not even Mickey Mouse Schwitz. That'll work its way into the act. And <laughs> that's like Andy uh, Dufresne. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and and if anyone can manipulate DNA, it's that jerk off Fauci. These are all the ones that'll the, the Cleveland Indians isn't a racist team name. Let me tell you, and no Indians live in Cleveland. They would have rather died of smallpox. All this stuff just works its way into the set, you know and. If I'm doing well, I know when to use them or, I, or they won't even pop into my head. But that's how I work. You yeah. know what I mean? I have to always be writing stuff and I have to always fucking put it down in ink or somewhere on my phone. So I know it's there in my brain for when I need it. But trust me, I, I mean, I don't need to get on stage 10 times a week. I, I wish I, I, I wish I was the young man that used to do that. But no. Well, and, and I think in those days when you would want to do so many sets, like you have to be in love with comedy and like someone like Aaron and Jim Norton and Steve Burns, some of those guys are just like truly yeah. their wife is comedy. And I just yep. don't love it that much. I hate deconstructing. And especially when you're a creative person. I'm, I'm a guy that I, I, I do radio. I've been on the radio. I do podcasting. And I don't want my podcasts all sounding alike. So I sl change it up. I got to change topics. I got to do this. So when I start getting bored with my same material, even if it works, I'm like, oh, God. Like in my mind, mentally, I'm thinking nobody's really going to like it because they've probably heard this before. When in reality, it's just a fight with my own mental mental capacity saying, no, they've never oh, heard yeah. this before. Deliver it right, asshole. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's interesting because, well, by the way, I, I'll bring it back to Comedians of the Compound because over the summer, uh, I you know, you guys were here with Pat Dixon and Bobby Tamburo and everything and. Uh, it was it was such a great time. My brother came out for the first night. He said, I saw three comedy shows tonight, the before the show, the show, and then after the show. He had such yeah. a great time. We, we ran out yeah. of Jameson the first night. Remember that? We I Canadian think me club. and you drank too. We drank a lot of it. 
<laughs> and I get to work the next morning, and then, uh, and then this. So the second night, it was funny because I had a bunch of my friends came out for the second night, and uh, and, and family and everybody, and they're wondering if I was going on stage. I'm like, well, I don't know, maybe even maybe in the second show. So by the second show, you're slurring your words everywhere. Oh, you're being you're being complimentary, but go on. Kumia can barely stand up at that point because, and he's being very loud. And yeah. speech impediment man goes up and just bombs, of course, because that's he doesn't know anything else. Uh, Luby right. went up, and I think, uh, yeah, and just Luby didn't do as well in front of that audience. And it right. got to the point where Berg comes up to me and says, "Can you save the show?" So I go up yeah. there and I did about ten uh, right before Berg. So I was almost like the feature act at that point. <laughs> Because you were you were you were you were the setup man is what you were, my man. And you nailed it. It was well, it was funny because I was hoping that you and Anthony were wearing Kumia were watching because I went up. I wore the, the gator and I did you. I did a shot and I called somebody a whore and a faggot in the front row. And somebody had to do it. I was incapacitated. Thank you. And then so I got to the microphone. And I said, I'm Tony Mazer. I'm doing great so far. And then, uh, and, and I ended, I ended my set, and I was hoping Anthony was there for this, and I, but, but I, he was, he was either too far gone or he didn't hear it. And I said, by the way, before I end my set tonight, I want to thank, you know, it's, it's honestly a dream come true to have Anthony Cumia here in this comedy club, my home comedy club, where I started doing stand up, but I'm also a radio guy, and I was inspired by Anthony Cumia and the Opie and Anthony show for the last 20 years. That I've been such a fan, and it's an honor to have him, and he is my direct influence of what got me into doing radio. So because of Anthony Cumia, I now make $28,000 a year in radio. So <laughs> fuck you, Anthony Cumia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we would have loved that. I'm, I'm, I'll do it again. Can, I don't care. Yeah, hopefully we can get you up there uh, when we're there in a couple of weeks. That's always a fun fucking time. And it, and I do. Like, I love that club. That's a fun fucking club. Yeah, Gino said, or uh, 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 Pete said, Gino was there with uh, Gemini. And like, really? <laughs> like, because you were you used to open for Gemini, right? Yeah, but I was never there with Gemini. <laughs> but I didn't want to change the story because he tells it so well. I'm like, I, I want that to be me. You may as the well have been there, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the way he does, I'm like, I wish that was me. That's a great story. But yeah, Pete's great. Yep. And what's his brother with the cigar bar? Because we'll be there as well on Saturday. Yeah, that's Tony. Yeah, Tony Tony owns the cigar shop and the comedy club. And Pete kind of runs the comedy club and he books the acts and everything. And uh, well, that's yeah, great. It was, it was really great having you guys there over the summer. And I'm looking forward to the weekend. Like I said, it's my birthday weekend. And I'm like, I am not driving that entire weekend. I'm getting fucked yeah, up. Yeah, we... We're, we are fucking things up, but I am not getting fucked up till the end of the shows. I I, I can't. I won't. I shan't. We're going to go over to there's a place down the street. It's called Dominic's and it's a karaoke place. I took I took Kumia there. And oh, really? That was on Friday because I know how much he loves doing karaoke. And so he he's great at it. We were just hanging out and he's drinking his Budweiser and everything. And I said, hey, aunt, you want to do some karaoke? He's like, dude. Karaoke, yeah. <laughs> and so he gets in my car, he brings his beer and everything. We go down the street, and he was doing, uh, oh, God, what tear? He was doing a Tears for Fears song. Um, which one? Everybody Wants to Rule the World no, or Shout? It, it was it the other been one. Shout. Um, Head Over Heels. Oh, great song. Yeah, he was doing the falsetto part. And uh, he grabbed a microphone when I was doing Heart and Soul by Huey Lewis in the News. And it was not it, to pal, give a little bit of heart and soul. Anyway, go on. It was um, unbelievable. Like I got, I got pictures. It was like, this is such a cool experience and took him back to the hotel. And I said, what time you got to be over at the cigar shop tomorrow? And they said, he's like, what time is it? And I said, it's about, it's one Oh nine. He's like, yeah, I'm going to wake up at one Oh nine tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because people said that that's what comedians of the compound is. It's, it's, it's our fans, but they all are like friends of ours. I, 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 you know, I send I send my stickers out with a thank you, handwritten thank you notes that the fans always compliment comment on. But it's always like, yeah, I, I write literally dozens of them each month. And it's like that's um, if you told me five, ten, ten or even five years ago, I'd have to write all these letters that are basically thank you notes to fans. I would have been like, are you fucking with me? <laughs> so I love doing it, you know, and the fans we hang out with and, and they're like friends of ours. They really are. And that's 
That's the business model now. It's not, oh my God, I have to get an agent. I have to get a sitcom. I mean, don't get wrong, that'd be great. Not for us, because I could never have a sitcom the shit I write and say. You've seen Gino's picks. But it's like you have your fan base, and that's the best advertising there is. They do the word of mouth. They do the social media. That's how shit spreads now. And it's 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 an unbreakable model. It's If you're just true to your art, I'll throw that in again. If you just work on writing the next joke, you will get more fans because you will never, and, and you'll love what you do. It's not rocket science. It's actually incredibly, it's beautifully simple. Yeah, it's and it also those shows are just, they turn into such a, it's so much fun because, but but here's the problem is that the whole goal ends up being let's get Gino really drunk. And it was kind of, if you think yeah, about right. it, and this is a compliment, it's kind of like what happened with the Dave Attell, like with Insomniac 20 Insomniac, years ago. Insomniac, yeah. It was, Somebody else said that. How drunk can we get Dave Attell? We, everybody wants their Dave Attell, let's get drunk story. So it ended up being, or it's like with Artie Lang, where it's a, hey, let's see how fucked up we can get with Artie Lang. So it went from being... Yeah. You bought tickets to the show, but the real show was after. Which, by the way, I I told you that I saw Artie when during one of his many heroin problems, right? Yeah. No. Wait. <laughs> Pretend I don't know this story because I don't remember. It was if at you the Pittsburgh me. Improv, and our Artie Artie was club. yeah. Exa- well, it, it's gotten a little bit better now. And when I say well, better, it's, donors, gotten, I thought. it's gotten a little darker now. <laughs> Go on. I'm sorry, Tom. So, yeah, there. They, unless it's Gary Owen, not to be confused with Gary Owens, the former L.A. radio guy, but Gary Owen or uh, uh, what's his name? The Brad. Uh, what's the name? The the dwarf comedian, uh, Brad Williams. And but if it's right. not them, it's all black comics in there. But this is when they were still booking white acts like Tammy Pescatelli or Artie Lang. And. So I, I'm like, well, you know what? Because I, I saw Artie, he was on Anthony's show before. This is before the Artie and Anthony show. And I'm like, I, I would love to go see Artie. I've never seen him. And so I drove the two hours over to Pittsburgh and go. we did some stuff that day. I think we went to a Pittsburgh Penguins game. And right. so, so now what's the true test of any comic is that if you're a comics comic and you're a fan of comedy and you're also a comedian yourself, you want to see the late show. So I don't want to see the yes. early show. Early shows, everything's tight. You got to break down the tables, everything. You know, ten minutes to host, fifteen minute feature or twenty minutes, and then forty five, you're done. I want to see the true test of a comic of late show Saturday night or Friday or Saturday night. And it was late show Saturday yeah. with Artie. And so my then girlfriend was trying to check in on like Foursquare or whatever, and she was like, she's gonna post on Twitter like going to see Art at Artie Quitter. So she looks up his Twitter account, and his tweet said, "I apologize, I apologize, Pittsburgh. I'll be better next time. Make sure you keep coming to see." And she's like, uh, "Did you see this?" So she shows me the phone. I'm like, "Oh God, they gotta cancel the show right now. They can't do this. They have to give our money back, and then we gotta leave." And sure enough, the lights start going down. I'm like, they're really going to go ahead with this show. So they had a couple of local openers and, uh, and you know, T-Robe and everybody. And then they're like, and you know, remember him from the Artie, Artie Lang show and Howard Stern show? Artie Lang, he comes on stage, he's wearing his Yankee hat. He's got a pair of dirty Adidas sweatpants on. And he comes up to yeah. the stage and he's just, just not there. Just not. Is his there. nose bleeding at this point? He used to do shows with his nose bleeding. Oh, I'm getting to that. So okay. he so he goes on stage and I, might, I was on one of his shows at the Funny Bone, but I don't think this was it. Go on. No, this was the improv. And this was one of oh, those okay. where Artie's up there and it's just the crowd's there because they all love him and they, and they all support him. They the same crowds that ten years earlier were enabling him and giving him drugs are like, come on, Artie, like you can do it. It's like it's the really the best audience you could ever have if you're a comic. And he's just not right. going there. It's like a car in neutral. It's like you're not going anywhere unless you're going downhill. And he gets right. one good laugh. Like, okay, there's a joke that popped and never got back to it. And kept going Jesus down, Christ. down, down. And then the nose starts bleeding. And it's like he uh, opened a faucet. And it just goes all yeah. over his shirt. And he's just... <laughs> and then he starts doing his bit. Instead of cheers, he starts singing queers. This was yeah. his first ever bit he ever wrote when the show was actually popular. Yeah. He starts singing it, and his bodyguards, it was two of them, went into the club, literally carried him off the stage, threw him in a limo, and sent him to a rehab place. 
immediately after that wow. show. Not even to the wow. hotel, Good. sent him right to it. And, and then he actually has told the story that that was one of the infamous uh, snorting glass stories that was inside the heroin. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I was doing the Artie Quitter podcast with him back then, and I was just losing my I'm like, this is awful. Like, why isn't any and, – and I still have problems with Dan Falato because I think he enabled him. Uh, he, he didn't enable him, but he lived with him, and he just let it go on. But what's he going to do? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I would have probably done the exact – like, I, I still get mad at myself for getting mad at him because I'm like, what would you have done, Gene? I'm like – and then I tell myself the same thing. The same thing. <laughs> you would have done the same thing. Why are you mad at Dan? Well, because I didn't do the same thing as him doing it. I was the one doing the show every week trying to get fame out of it. What a – just – I mean, we, we all should have been better to him, but he's already, you know, and you can't, and you say, oh, you couldn't talk him out of it anyway. And you couldn't, you couldn't, it's not making it right, but it's just fucking already. You know what I mean? I was talking to Tommy about a year ago because he came to town with uh, uh, Nick DiPaolo and I, I don't know how many people know this, but I actually went for to be Napolo's, uh, to Nick DiPaolo's producer. I was going to go down to Savannah and I was going to be his producer, but it just the the money didn't justify it uh, as far as moving down to Savannah. It was like it was just slightly more than what I was making here in Akron. And I'm like, I'm a newlywed. I just re-upped on a lease. I can't really. Do I know that nothing right now. about it, but something tells me I'm glad you didn't go. I love Nick. I love you, but I, I think you're better where you are. But go on, go yep. on. But uh, you know, and I know Tommy's been there for for Artie, but Artie, I guess, had to postpone his podcast. He said he's just not in the right state of mind. I'm listening. I'm like, you have Rich Voss. You had well Bob Saget before he was murdered. <clears throat> I mean, he he died of uh, COVID. <clears throat> I mean, I mean, he uh, he's just suddenly died he, he, last month. He fell, hit his head. Uh, he fell down at his head, but but apparently he's 19 stories tall because they said that's how fractured his skull was. Anyway, go on. Yeah. Sure. So uh, like when Artie can't even riff with Gilbert Gottfried anymore, it's like, boy, has he lost? It. I mean, it's like watching, um, it's it's like watching Steve Carlton when he played for the Indians at the end of his career. It's just he's not the same player anymore. Yeah, Twins and Indians. I remember. Yeah, I remember. Lefty. Yeah. So. Uh, before we head out, uh, before I let you get on, and you got Chicago, you're going to tomorrow, and I'll give you a quick, uh, quick plug here. Of course, comedians, the compound Chicago, which will this will already be playing after that. Then you have governors as well. Funny stop, and then you guys are going to be in Pottstown, Pennsylvania, on March 24th, and you're going back to the Clergy in Atlantic City, which uh, is the, where I saw be. you guys last year, and I'm still waiting for Matt Miller to get my I enabled Gino T-shirt. Oh my god! You need one, motherfucker. I'll, I'll I can get you one. I, I ordered it already. Time. It just hasn't come in yet. Oh, okay. What was I gonna say? Uh, and fun fact: uh, it's it's uh, the boss's birthday weekend when we're in AC, and we're gonna do a little roast of him. Oh, that's I can't wait for that. Uh, so yeah, that, that's all coming up. And you go to compoundcomedy.com 